now a great privilege for me to welcome Ken Dickens to come and um, share with us. Um, Ken worked for the Institute for around 20 years and um, in that time, um, prior to that, he was a student with the Institute and then he came on board um, as a lecturer and then he spent seven years as principal of our Institute. In that time, he was also in a dual role of, of principal and CEO of CEN, so he certainly had his, um, had his hands full. It's such a delight to have Ken and Jenny back in the room with us um, tonight. We farewelled Ken only a couple of years ago, four years, nearly four years ago now, as the CEO of our organisation. And um, it's just always good to have Ken come back and share with us. And um, yeah, welcome Ken, and we look forward to hearing what you've got for us tonight. Hey. First thing, uh, no more election updates until I'm finished, okay? <laughs> no sneaky looks at your phone. Look, I want to say uh, what a great privilege and honour it is for me to um, speak on behalf of so many wonderful, faithful people who have been involved in the National Institute over the 40 years of its existence. Um, and I also thank God for the National Institute because it has been very, very significant in my life. Um, when I first got involved in Christian education, I realised there was something very rich about CN schools. They were called Christian parent control schools in those days. But one of the things that I was soon to learn was this group of schools, this association, um, taught me much more about the Lordship of Jesus than all of my time as an evangelical Christian growing up in evangelical churches. Um, and I saw that the Lordship of Jesus was much, much bigger than I ever imagined, and that he claimed all of life. And it was that thought, that truth, that kept me motivated as a teacher, as a principal, as a lecturer in Christian education. You've come here on this weekend because you own or are responsible for an association or a school. Some of you have a couple of schools. But I want to tell you, you have another educational institute that you own, that you are responsible for, and that is the National Institute. This little association called Christian Education National owns and runs an accredited postgraduate teaching institution. That is no small feat. And in fact, I think it's unique in the world that a group of schools and a small group of schools would own its own accredited teacher training institution. And CEN and the National Institute have always been one body. Sometimes we've seen each other as differently and we've had different emphasis, but we've always been one. And I want to just acknowledge Michelle, the CEO, who is a graduate of the Institute and the board, the current board and past boards 
for their support and for their foresight in seeing that the National Institute, a body of educators that keep educating other educators to think and teach Christianly, is absolutely essential and non-negotiable. And that's always been the case since its inception. Not only that, but there's been a recognition that this institute needs to be supported and funded by a group of schools. Now, other parts of the world, institutes of higher education may get funding from a whole lot of places, and no institute of higher learning can survive on fees alone. It always needs to be underwritten. And this body has continued to see that that is essential. And I pray that continues and abounds. I've had the great privilege of working with so many wonderful people. And uh, I was nurtured in a reformational worldview by Richard Edland. And for that, I'm very grateful. And I was nurtured in biblical theology by Rod Thompson. And those two ideas together have been at the heart of what the National Institute is all about. Let me just reflect a little bit on some of the history. This is not a, an accurate historical account. It's my reflection, my understanding of the way things happened. But it started way back in a couple of schools in Victoria, of all places. Um, Mount Evelyn and Mountain District Christian School and they had this idea that the teachers needed to think deeply about their tasks from a biblical perspective uh, and it's no accident that Jack Mickelson was principal of one of those schools and has continued to see the absolute crucial role that teacher training has in keeping our movement faithful. And out of that movement, there were two men who were foundational, who laid the intellectual foundations for the institute upon which that was going to be built by others. And I talk about Stuart Fowler, the late Stuart Fowler, and some of us attended his funeral last year, and Doug Blomberg, um, who is not here but has sent his, his commendation and in that time, as one of the students was Andrew Schmidt, who's still a lecturer with the National Institute, um, and also been poached by another organisation to head up their Bachelor of Education program. So, but Stuart and Doug, when I first started with the Institute, were my key lecturers, and, and I want to say that they've been the backbone of, of the National Institute. Doug, as you've heard, went to Institute of Christian Studies in Toronto. And if you don't know about that institute, it is the place where all of the key reformational philosophical thinkers in the world have been trained. And Doug became president of that institution uh, and before he moved back to Australia. Uh, Stuart even into his old age, continued to be closely associated with the National Institute. Stuart Fowler was one of the leading Christian philosophers in Australia. He was a philosopher and a theologian, but he was also a person with a keen interest in technology. 
and he was ahead of his time. Not many people know this about Stuart, but uh, I remember once Stuart uh, brought up his computer to the national office and had a staff meeting with us because he wanted to show us all a new program that was going to be very important. And as he got started, he couldn't find his mouse anywhere. So Stuart said, I'll just drive it without the mouse. And he managed to do that, but it just kept on going haywire the whole time uh, until we realised that Alan McCartan... Is Alan here tonight? Yes, well, Alan is the Chief Financial Officer of Christian Education National, which worries the heck out of me, but... <laughs> the mouse was on... Uh, what's your name again? Alan's knee for the whole time uh, and making it do all sorts of uh, wonderful things <laughs> as Stuart was trying to explain to us this wonderful new technology. ICE, which was the Institute of Christian Education, morphed into the National Institute for Christian Education. And together with the Institute for Christian Tertiary Education, sorry for all these acronyms, that was the organisation that grew out of Christian community schools. Christian community schools, of course, morphed into Christian Schools Australia. But we had this group there and we had the National Institute and together we formed what was called the Christian College of Higher Education. And it was that organisation that secured accreditation from the government. It was the New South Wales government time. That was later to become a, a national accreditation. Uh, but that, after a while, became unacceptable to the government because they said you've got the National Institute, you've got the Institute of Christian Tertiary Education and you've got this thing called the CCHE. Are they really governing what you do or are you sort of just making this a kind of shell organisation? And so they said you've got to change. And it's that time that we made the very difficult decision um, that we would take our accreditation through Morling College. Uh, now, I say that was difficult because at that time, our partner, ICTE, had been taken over by Morling College. And Morling College already had a relationship with the government. Uh, and we decided, in order to keep our continuity with working with our sister organisation and working in fellowship together, that we would come under the accrediting authority of Morling College. Um, and we did that for continuity, and we did that for fellowship, and we did that for pragmatic reasons. We weren't in a position to fund a, an institution that was going to go it alone and have an accreditation from the government in our own right. Things have changed since then, and I'll talk about that. But I just want to talk about during the time when I believe the Institute grew and flourished, and that was under the leadership of Richard Edland. And when I talk about Richard, I've got to talk about Annette as well, because she was integral to the leadership and Richard's huge output and capacity. Um, during this time, we formed formal uh, study relationships with institutions in Kenya, in Canada, 
in New Zealand and in England. There may be more. During this time, we were involved in something that was quite innovative and unique, and that is students at public university could study from a Christian perspective 25% of their course. And the education component of that was written and taught by the National Institute. Now, we didn't make any money out of that. We did that because we thought it was a wonderful opportunity. That was called the Macquarie Christian Studies Institute. So a public university in Sydney were allowing 25% of their students' coursework to be done from a Christian perspective and going on their uh, transcript. Unfortunately, that faded because of lack of support and because of a new um, leadership at Macquarie University at the time. We've had students and it flourished in this time all around the world. And one of the great innovations that happened that I think has revolutionised the Institute is face-to-face -face teaching in residentials or intensives or kickstart. We've named them all different kind of thing. And I remember the very first one we had was right here in this city, at Emmaus, in 2000. Sorry? Yes, you were. That was wonderful having you there, Alan, too. And, and I think you behaved. So not only did we have these accredited courses in Master of Education, Master of Ed Education Leadership, but we also worked really hard at professional development. And um, we started to develop certificate courses. And I want to pay tribute to Chris Parker here. He's already been acknowledged. Uh, but I had a wonderful time working with Chris. And Chris was involved in the postgraduate study, but more and more became uh, impassioned about the certificate courses and developed them and still enjoys teaching them. Uh, and we now are accredited provider of professional development. Um, and it has now been seen as part of CN uh, rather than part of the National Institute, but we're all together anyway. Um, but uh, most people who have studied with the Institute have been greatly impacted by studying the certificates as well or instead of. I talked about uh, a mauling and I talked about our change, which was a rather painful change, and it was after my time to Alpha Crucis College. And I want to pay tribute to Dave Gray, who's not here, who was director. And one of the key things that Dave presided over in his time was that transition, which needed very careful negotiation. Uh, and I think he did it wonderfully. To put it simply, um, my understanding of why we have moved to Alpha Crucis College is it gives us a better opportunity to maintain the CEN distinctives. That's why we did it, uh, and I believe that's the case. We are the postgraduate program provider for Alpha Crucis. Whereas in the Mauling situation, we were working 
in a sense, under our competitors. Uh, and it was awkward at times, uh, with good faith and with goodwill, but it was awkward. Um, but now we have an opportunity to say, we are doing the postgraduate education provision and we can do it the way we want to do it. Of course, with all the academic requirements that a, a, an accredited provider insists upon, but we want that anyway. One of the great things about um, the Institute, in my mind, has been the faculty. Uh, and the Institute, I think, is a little bit like Hotel California. You, you, you can check it any time you like, but you can never leave. Um, <laughs> look, I'm still hanging around. Rod Thompson is back. He keeps on coming and going. Now, Rod Thompson, you probably think Rod's a godly, scholarly kind of person. He's just a naughty boy. <laughs> Do you know that Rod Thompson is the only faculty member who was sent out of a staff meeting in the National Institute? <laughs> True. Alan McCartan was responsible for that as well. <laughs> Alan worked for the National Institute before he became the Chief Financial Officer for CEN. Jill, who was the uh, chairperson of the council for so long and was so influential and in uh, leading it, is now back as a lecturer. Jeff Beach, who was the academic dean, I thought he was still back, but apparently he's worked out there are other ways he can hang around with the academic dean, <laughs> and so he doesn't need to be a lecturer. Um, speaking about the academic dean, I just want to pay tribute to, to Beth Beach. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why God allowed Jeff to find this wonderful lady was so that she could come and work for the National Institute in Australia. <laughs> we had lost our registrar, and I remember praying that God would provide a, a registrar with academic background and someone who could understand the academic postgraduate scene and that very day I was talking to Jeff and, and t tell me about your new wife, Jeff. And he described the kind of person that I'd been praying about. Uh, and so it wasn't long that we realised that we needed her to be the registrar. And then it wasn't long that we realised that registrar was the wrong position for her. She should be the academic dean. And that's what she is and what she's done. Uh, even Doug is back. Not as a lecturer, but he's part of the APRC. We all just keep coming back. Um, and we keep coming back because we're committed to help teachers to keep thinking biblically. Uh, we're all homegrown teachers of teachers. Most of the people who lecture in the Institute are graduates. The deputy principal, Chris Pryor, is a graduate. I remember the first thing I read that Chris wrote as a student. But yet here he is as the, <laughs> as the, as the deputy. Um, and in fact, most of the lecturers, like me, were students and they got fire in their belly about Christian education and about the lordship of Jesus over all of life and about influencing other teachers that they wanted to teach it after being students. And so in this room, we've got Jill, uh, Tim, Andrew, Miriam, Lindsay, Melissa, Fiona, Jackie, Narelle, 
Um, they're, they're all previous students who are now lecturers, and if I've left anyone out, I'm sorry. And looking around that table, the only people I've left out are Jenny, my wife. She's a graduate of the Institute, and she kept me together while I was leading. And I haven't mentioned Charlie, because he got in first and did a master's before the Institute started. Um, but I want to mention him because he's a good bloke, uh, and he's one of my best mates, and he lectures for the, uh, for the Institute. So no one's left out in that table, I think. Um, do you know that there are about 17 lecturers in the Institute who have doctorates or who are engaged in doctoral study? That is a much higher ratio, I believe, than most universities in our land. That is quite phenomenal for such a small university. And those people have studied have been doing other jobs while they've been studying, while they've been teaching, and while they've been lecturing. Uh, and that's, that's amazing. We thank God for that. Finally, I just want to finish with the Bible because it's from the Bible that we get the perspective that is a wonderful, hopeful, life-giving perspective that we want to pass on to our kids. And one of the driving verses for me, I notice it's on our table, and that's coincidental or God-incidental, um, but it's the, the verse from Corinthians where Paul says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make obedient to Christ. That verse has been the impetus for me. It's given me confidence and boldness. And it's helped me to understand that I cannot keep my religion, I cannot keep my relationship with God in a private box. Because the, the Lordship of Jesus demands that everything is subject to him. And I want to take every thought captive. And it's also challenged my own integrity. If I'm going to take every thought captive, I've got to take my thoughts captive first and interrogate them and say, are they obedient to Christ? And so one of the things that the Institute has been on about and continues to be on about is discernment, is not being deceived, but taking every thought captive and making obedient to Christ. And sometimes when we talk about discernment and we talk about that kind of critique, we talk about the antithesis, where you're either for God or against him, where underneath every thought is either religious to worship to God or a God substitute. And as Doug Blomberg is wont to say, all of life is religion. But I've been reading recently where I was challenged about that emphasis on taking every thought captive. And did you notice, as I said that, I had a fist? Well, I read recently from Os Guinness in a book called Fool's Talk, The Art of Christian Persuasion. And he talked about the old way of Christian apologetics was closed-fistedness. 
And he said the verse people use is were, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing. And that was another translation. Let me read it in my translation. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to me. And he said that is close-fisted. And he said the other symbol is the open hand. And I want to read what he says about the open hand apologetics that he calls persuasion. The other symbol was the open hand. This represented the positive side of apologetics that used all the highest strength of human creativity in the defence of truth, expressing the love and compassion of Jesus and using eloquence, creativity, imagination, humour and irony, open-hand apologetics had the task of helping pry open hearts and minds that for a thousand reasons had long grown resistance to God's grace so that it could shine in like the sun. But then he goes on to say that you need both. Both close-fisted and open-handed apologetic. We need to be tough and bold and say no, but we need to be open-handed and pry open the heart. He says, should be both, but is there any doubt that the one we most need to recover today, both to be true to our Lord and to gain the key to reach the hearts and minds of our post-Christian generation, is the way of the heart of love that reaches out to persuade with an open hand. May all we... And all we say, be worthy of the word who was in the beginning with God, the word who will have the last say as he had the first, the word who was made flesh and lived among us, the word whose name is love. To him be glory and let us strive never before to witness to him in a way that is worthy of him and so introduce others to him as our great privilege to know him. As I reflected upon that, I realised that he was talking about the two things that are held in tension that we have long talked about in the National Institute. I talked about the antithesis, opposite directions, closed-fisted, but he also, and we also, talk about common grace the common ground that we have as all people. And we're not finish with a passage from the Bible where Paul demonstrates that open-handedness and finding common ground in which to talk about Jesus. And that's the common grace that we need to talk about too when we do in the institution. And Paul is speaking in Acts 17 to the Athenians And he's made reference to the idol, to the unknown God. And he commends them for being religious. And he goes on to say, Then from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundary of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. 
though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your very own poets have said, we are his offspring. So as we discern and persuade, critique and affirm and celebrate, I pray that God will continue to use mightily the National Institute in the cause of Christian education in Australia and beyond. To God be all the glory.